Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. Making Dreaming Was Black was to say to everyone else out there like, yo, I see you. Listeners, before we begin, please know that we start all our conversations with death because we believe that death truly makes us reflect about the life we live and we aim, in our own little way, to share the life of our guest. And in today's episode, we have Solman Ajani, a film director and actor who's best known for his award-winning web series, Dreaming Whilst Black. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's talk about death. Okay. Are you scared of death? No, I wouldn't particularly say I'm scared of death. I feel like if I was to be concerned about it at all, it would be to die without leaving a meaningful impact. Right. Yeah. And what does that look like? So a friend of mine, Anna, passed away last year, or is it two years now? I think it's last year. It feel like last year. White, middle-class English girl. She passed away from some infection that she got while in some weird place but she was a filmmaker right. and she turned to photojournalism no this is like a white 20 something year old girl yeah the way how she was in places like slab city by herself just taking pictures of like the underbelly of america and don't care i remember when she passed i was like yo brother like look how much she's done in the time and look how she aggressively just attacked it not caring like of consequences but do you think i mean without doing her a disservice mm-hmm. that org is especially rest in peace don't mm-hmm. speak ill of the dead but her culture but that quote. but that's what we need right let me tell you the difference between us we feel we've been taught and you know that whole twice as hard half as much all of them thing there mm-hmm. we've been taught to be qualified let's be clear i wanted to be a filmmaker I did at least four short courses on filmmaking while I was working in Jamaica. So I'd fly over here, do a short course, come back. Cool. Then I did a master's. Note, I already have a degree. I have a degree in architecture, but because I wanted to be a filmmaker, I did a master's in film. Ironically, when I applied for the master's, even though I'd been working in the industry for three years, they're like, oh, you know, we don't know because you don't have a background. I said, okay, cool. There's a two-month film course in New York. I'll go to that during the summer so that I can prep for your thing. They're like, all right, cool. We'll give you a conditional acceptance based on that. So note, I did four short courses. Then I did a two-month course. This is after working three years in the industry and then did a master's. You see, when I went to that master's program, I met someone who was a civil engineer up until June. Oh, okay. You see how I prepped yeah, no, course. to I mean, be a filmmaker because I, I need to be qualified. Yeah. And man who just did whatever, came in there were people in my course who didn't know how to use a camera no cool you can say that's admissions issues right but the audacity to think me in my brain knowing i've only ever done architecture i said oh i want to be a filmmaker i'm gonna just do a master's it's wild to me Mm. i'm not qualified enough i don't want to get drawn out you know part of whiteness brother is freedom and audacity that's it Sometimes it manifests in racist ways and terrible, like, capitalistic ways. But just the audacity. No experience, no qualification, no expertise, nothing. But I can't do it, though. 
first decade mm. of life. Do you have any fond memories, any stories um, that stuck with you? Well, there are loads of particular stories. Like I feel like it would all boil down to summers in Jamaica, summers in Kingston particularly. So I moved to Jamaica when I was five, but my mom and I lived in Montego Bay, which is like the second, the second city. But my whole family lived in Kingston, so it was just us two. And obviously we'd go there like on weekends and, you know, try to go there and thing. But summers, I'd be like there the whole summer. You see me? And I, my family is a tight-knit family in terms of like my cousins, cousins, cousins. Right. <laughs> all part, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I remember just being there the summer with y'all, like Nicholas and Taboo and that whole street. It's weird. He would live down a street. When I go back, no, I'm like, this is actually a weird street even for Jamaica. So it's like an L-shaped dead-end road, completely residential area, which is weirdly in between, like, three bad areas. But this street, like, this little ends is decent. You know, like, they're, like, teachers or police people, you know. Yeah. But we just inhabit that street, right? So because of that, we could play football in the street. We could play cricket in the street. Like, we're run up and down and play hide-and-seek on the whole street. It's a dead end road. The only way a child can escape, you have to run down the one street. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's a year where like everybody get a bicycle for Christmas. Every year, jeez. No, but like so one year everybody got a bicycle. Okay, gotcha. So the whole of way I ride bicycle and it's like follow the leader. <laughs> but because I was like the youngest, I was always like trying to keep up with them, man. You see me? So yeah, I thought like no, they're like twelve, I'm like nine. Even like there was one year where they were colluding, like, yo, we could get the children this. And That's it's really like, community yo, trust me. It was, but then, it, yo, my next door neighbor beat me. Holy pata. Matter of fact, she probably beat me more than my mother. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Why? What'd you do? Yo, <laughs> no, you know what? No, you know what? I, so I wasn't rude. I would say I was mischievous, but they had a thing. Well, Auntie Jaya particularly had a thing where you see if one person does something, every man I get beat. Uh. Because that means the person who did it. Everybody else knew it was wrong. You're complicit. And you allowed the man to do it. And yo, I never did nothing. I would be like, no, send the man about this up. Like, yo, dog, we're going to try to climb on the roof. Yo, my girl inside, I watch TV. When <laughs> <laughs> I dip on it within the car, when she comes and licks a dash out, we can say, yo, inside, I watch TV. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> but yeah, those uh, summers were, yeah, yeah, those were great times. Was it easy? Because it sounds like it was just you and your mum. You know, it's funny we talk about sacrifice of the previous generation. So my whole family moved over when my mom was like eight, nine or so. Uh, in, in like Midlands, like Nottingham area. And all of this, her siblings moved back except her. She became a lawyer here, actually. She was here. We were working, working, working. And when I was born, she kind of said, yo, like, am I going to raise a black boy on my own in South London? Mm-hmm. It's like, nah. So she moved back to Jamaica. And obviously, like, in terms of the economy and the money what she had make, it's a massive cut, like, just standard of living shift. But she was just like, nah, she fears raising a black boy in South London. Nah, I understand that. Was there any signs at that early age that helped make you see this world in a creative lens? Um, Since your mum was a lawyer. I mean, yeah, and it's funny because I, I didn't read for years. Like, I just hate read. Like as soon as pictures came out of books, I'm done. <laughs> like you know, what I'm saying like there was this there was this thing called I don't know if you guys have it here, Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys. It's like a detective series of you know young teens and all of that shit. But they had like three pictures in the middle, so you have to read to the middle, see the three pictures, and then bruv, 
at some point we used to try to read to the middle and see the three pictures just to understand the three pictures yeah, yeah. but after that i'm done what is this <laughs> i was like nah, nah 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 but i do remember i was always drawing so like painting drawing that kind of stuff so i guess that would be a creative outlet it's funny because i remember christmas time you draw like you know the birth of jesus kind of thing you know you draw some religious drawing thing and i drew my like you know jesus all the disciples and everything but everybody was black i I just used a brown crayon to draw everybody and the teacher called my mom and she asked her she's like what do you teach your son and it's weird because my mother and i have never had like conscious discussions are mm. you know like educating me about the world or none of them does she not have those usual tropes then that you do have to work twice as hard well i mean no. how does she prep you so her thing wasn't twice as hard her thing was always be the best okay. but remember i grew up in jamaica so everybody blacks is not twice as hard mm. for half as who like you know what i mean that's very true but her thing was you need to be your best mm. as well as the best is there a danger to strive for best I don't know. It depends on the child. I do think it depends on the child. And I do feel like she, whether correctly or incorrectly, valued me to say, look, this is a smart child. So therefore, I'm going to push him to be the best of himself. And I guess because my report card has always said, could do better, no matter what I get. That was always it. So I think that used to just piss her off. He's like, he's messing around. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, 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 I like, watch TV till the moment so she come home lock it off open up the book and then act like me I studied like that's how I remember my child you see me mm. so I guess she always knew that yo man like you're not fulfilling your potential and I guess for her she made a sacrifice she had a nice little life down there working in the city as a lawyer and them thing there and she gave that up to move back to Jamaica we're now gonna like start moving in towards I guess secondary school whilst at school the tutors and the teachers that we have in our lives there's one that really make an impact is there one for you is there a name oh uh, yes yeah, so i would say there are two but one in particular because it was on a different level i had a tutor stefano in second year where he would just ask the question why right. so if you drew a square why is it a square and you're like, shit, all right, cool, yeah, let me come back and draw like a circle. <laughs> then you come back and he's like, why is it a circle? And I'm like, yo, but you did say, but you never liked the square. I'm like, I didn't say I didn't like the square. I asked you, why is it a square? No, you come back with a circle. Why is it a circle? Like, what are you, where's your intention? What is, what are you, what is your intent? You know, what is the impact you're trying to have? And I was like, oh shit, all right, cool. So that was one, but I said, Anarag is who like, kick up my mind i remember the first class this is supposed to be history and theory third year i did the the culture and history because it was just so like the easiest thing and i remember going into his class and the first class he was like yo so what is culture culture is a way of life he's like all right cool what's a way of life explain that oh you know the habits that people have and like give me an example somebody i remember bridging he was like oh you know like some nigerian people eat like jollof rice he's like so if a Nigerian doesn't eat jollof rice, is he Nigerian? And he's like, well, yeah. But, and he's like, cool, so what is culture? He spent the whole hour disproving everyone's idea of what culture is and then said, okay, cool, so your homework is come back and tell me what culture is next week. And I was like, yo, that's mad. <laughs> and I remember every man is vexed 
But I remember I was so blown because it was like, challenge every word you know. Challenge everything. Why is it? What is it? From what I'm hearing, you're very much conscious and I don't like using the term woke, but you're woke, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I mean, that seems like it's always been the case. The black consciousness never really come till much later, I'd say, because again, I grew up in a country where everybody black. And so it's coming to England and going to America, like being awoken to this, like, like I'm black. And that means something. That don't mean you have to work hard. I forget a girl. That means your life may be impeded by your blackness. Whereas in Jamaica, our prime minister was black. 18 years, PJ Patterson. So at every level, I saw someone black in Jamaica. So I would say the black consciousness, yeah, it came out of about 23 hours so where I'm going to start really. What, what happened? What was the catalyst? Was there a trigger? Um, I remember in uni, there were so many experiences in uni which kind of slowly, like I remember even the first essay I wrote, because again, I always thought I'd get, you know, pretty man proper, I've got big school at Jamaica, you see me, no English. And a teacher came after me and was like, you know, essay was so good. And I was thinking, was it? I didn't like that, night. But she was like, no, the English was so good. And I was thinking, yo, like, you know, English is the first language of Jamaica, yeah? Like, big man thing. Like, I know my accent kind of sound mash up, but we do speak English there. Or even I remember the first, like, overt kind of racism I would get, which was mad because on St. Patrick's Day, and, you know, obviously all with all our white Irish friends. And for some reason, we just couldn't get in. And it was only me, Abdul, and Eddie. Eddie's Nigerian. Abdul's Somalian. And ID's, oh, sorry, guys, you know, it's a um, private night tonight. I was like, oh, no, that's cool. The Irish brother, he's a, John's our guy, bro. And even John's on the other side of the glass, like, waving at us, like. And he's like, looks at him, like, all right, can I see your IDs, guys? Cool. 21 and over tonight, sorry. In my head, I'm like, bruv, every man in there is in first year. So, I don't know, we are talking about, about 21. And at the time, it never even clocked to me. Wagwan. And I remember Abdul and Eddie fucking flipped out, yo. So I call him racist and bare things and I remember in my head I was, like, I was vexed but in my head it's just a security guard abusing yeah. power yeah and then go over to the adjacent bar and there was a black bouncer there and it was like cussing and telling the black bouncer yo talk to your bridging come man's racist bro black bouncer and I'll come over talking to the man come back alright guys ideas again then the man look no hat like no soft shoes oh, I'm like oh, bro then I'm like, rah, man, really? I, and because the black bouncer was there now, and Abdul and them, are, you see what I'm saying? Blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, some youths guy in it, because people are still going in while we're outside. Yeah. Bear man in Converse and thing, and the security, like the black bouncer talked to him. I was like, yo, like, big man thing. And then he let us in after that. I remember thinking, rah. But what was even more annoying about that experience is that I go inside and I'm telling my friend, and she couldn't get it. She couldn't get it for the life of her. There's no reason why our race had anything to do with us not getting in. She even get to the point where she asks, oh, is it because we became aggressive? Why the, and I'm like, B, how do you not get this? So even that, I was just like, bruh, I'm black, bruv. And that means you have limited access in this place. So yeah, that was when I was like, That's oh when shit. started becoming more conscious. Do you recall one of your first books you read? I would say one of the first books I read on that, because I always knew at that age, like after architecture school, I knew that I should read. I knew that, yo, there are loads of things that people are telling me, which I have just read a book 
I would have known it. But now I'm listening to them and taking their word as gospel. Right. So I started with small books, like tiny books. You know what I mean? So there's a book called The Fire Next Time, James Baldwin. That book there? Fire book. Yeah, what was in it about it? Yo, so it was just so it's two, it's two. Like one is like a letter to his nephew, and he's basically telling his nephew what he will go through in life because of his black skin and because he's a black boy. And the other was just general his thoughts on like where black people are in the West, and and I'm just like, oh shit! Now I'm down the rabbit hole. I'm now trying to find tiny books to read. You know, them hundred pages, them kind of things, and slowly build up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So let's bring it into the crux of who you are and what you do currently. You're a filmmaker. Yep. You're known for your work, Dreaming Whilst Black. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yep. What do you want to talk about that hasn't already been said about Dreaming Whilst Black? Because it has been out for a little while now. I've been out for a year now. Yeah, yeah. What do I want to talk about? Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll prompt you, I guess. Was it well-received? It was. Um, but was it well-received from the people you expected it to be well-received from? It was, which is what it was great. Like, okay. if, if I was to, like, what's, like, the niche audience? I'm like, it's black filmmakers, then black creatives, then black people. Because black people will just get... Just get the references. Just get the references. They get it. And it was. And it was interesting because we actually premiered it in, like, six countries. Right. And it was interesting after we started doing like our own little tour. So we did like a uni tour here. Then we had our season finale in Paris and obviously screen in Jamaica. The whole people received it differently. Obviously in England, everybody was like, yo, like that's my life dog. Like, you know, all everything there. And they got it. And especially like the race reference, they got what we were trying to say. Ironically in Jamaica, some people were like, yo, I didn't think they were going to England dog. No idea. Um, France, interestingly enough, that was a tough fucking screening. Really? First of all, they weren't laughing at like none of the jokes. Like they ain't laughing. And I was thinking, fuck, this is tough. <laughs> and then I remember the first question. So I've made it with four quarter films, friends of mine from film school. Yeah. Uh, so one of the producers was there, Max. Max is a white dude. First question the audience asked was to Max. And our brother was like, why do you as a white man feel like you have a right to be a part of this project? And I was like, yo, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a lot. And, you know, he was like, yo, he's like, obviously it's not his story. He relates as a filmmaker. Like, I'm his friend. And if his friend has an experience that he feels needs sharing, like, he's supporting that. So it doesn't matter if it's his struggle. He's like, if that's my friend's struggle, I'm backing that. Yeah. You know? And like, as an ally. Right. Yeah, as an ally. Yeah. I was like, yo, good answer, white man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but then even for me, like, I remember another question was like, yo, so who did you make this for? And I was like, yo, black people. Like, if I'm to be super niche, it's for black creatives. And she's like, okay, so a lot of the show deals with the microaggressions that black people go through from day to day. Why do you think black people want to experience that throughout their day and go home and watch it again as a comedy? And I was thinking, oh, shh. How do you answer? Um, I just said, you know what? Jamaica, we laugh at pain. That's how we cope. Somebody drop, we laugh. The person who's on the ground, laughing unless I'm crying like you know what I'm saying like that's how we deal that's our coping mechanism so for me making Dreaming Was Black was to say to everyone else out there like yo I see you like our experiences it's not like dog whistle it's real they're doing shit and I'm letting you know that I know mm. and I'm sharing that with you so you can tell your friends like yo this is our life on screen 
it can't have been easy for you to have got that off the ground and for it to have been screened in so many places as it was. So how did you do this? Yo, as I say, yeah, I'm not, as I said, I'm hanging on enough white people to see them do so much shit where I'm like, nah, I need to start doing that shit. Like that level of audacity. Mm. And I remember at the time we released that trailer, we put that trailer out on everywhere, you know, Instagram, YouTube, and the trailer start blow up. Like people start pop up like, yo, like that's your butt. And my brother's like, yo, that was the way I do for like the premiere in Akama, Jamaica. And I was like, nah, nah, we had, we had our premiere in, uh, in uh, London. And he was like, yo, but we do our premiere in Jamaica, same time, still international team. Yeah. And I was like, yo, yeah, yeah cool, cool. Make, make some phone calls, make some phone calls. And there's a marketing guy who there who wanted to invest in the show. So I was like, yo, like, we're thinking of, he was like, yo, we actually want to do our premiere here. We want to fly out here, but obviously in London. I'm like, yeah, cool. So the Jamaica thing. I'm like, Ross, so we're premiering like Jamaica and London. And my brethren was like, you know what I'm, what dog? And this is why it's my brethren. Yeah, yeah. I said, if we did have a thing global. And I was like, I wonder if we could have done that though, for real, like big man thing. And at the time, so my cousin is a photographer, Henry. And he did a job with some people in Amsterdam, this group called Amsterdam Black Women. So she actually messaged me. I was like, yo, your trailer's sick. And I was like, yo, you don't want to do a screening though? But, but it has to be on March 18th and it has to be like at this time. I was just like, yeah, great. I'm sure all the girls would love it. Boom, Amsterdam. And I was like, all right, cool. Who else do I know? Yeah, and yeah. Where, so I have a version from high school actually. Who I, again, because the trailer blew up, people started reaching out to me. Because then these are people who I haven't spoken to in years who so never know something in a film. A version of mine, he's teaching in Shanghai. He's like, yo, dog, the thing's sick, mad, mad, mad. We can't get like a preview. And I was like, yo, you can get a preview if you screen it in China. Boom, Dreaming was Black in China. And mm-hmm. even get to the point where so my brother, so we have a podcast called The Lit Race with my friend Taufik. He's Ugandan. So I'm guessing Taufik with the thing, no, like, blood, man, got the thing in China. <laughs> and he was like, bro, so what? No African country. And I'm like, yo, but what are you saying though? Man said, let me, let me message my cousin. Mm-hmm. Message his cousin in um, Uganda now. His cousin is like, what you mean, bro? Like, send the thing. We'll screen the thing. Boom. Uganda. It literally just became like this thing. Who can I get to show it somewhere? Mm-hmm. And some like Shanghai was like 15 people. No matter. I screened in Shanghai. Talk to me. I premiered in six countries at the same time. Talk to me. Yes. One was like 15 people in a, like a classroom. But, uh, you know, we don't talk no more. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't even talk no more, my dog. It just evolved into this massive thing and it was literally just off the back of a wild idea. Hey man, dream big. What's interesting of this story is specifically the viralness of the trailer. Mm. Was what got eyeballs and people interested. yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Make the trailer bang. I used to work in, as an editor in Jamaica, my boss was literally like, if the first three seconds don't bang, they're not watching it. Mm-hmm. So I was very, like, I got trained in like three seconds. If this used to be exciting in three seconds. And we did like about eight or nine drafts of the trailer. Literally eight, nine drafts, tested it with people, tested the people, eight, nine drafts, tested it with people. It's funny when a lot of people are like, yo, the thing's sick. I'm like, bro, the thing's at work, you know? Don't, this is not an overday thing. Like, it took two years for a reason. Like, we worked hard. Not like, enough scripts get 10 drafts. Matter of fact, you can exclusively, you can see what everybody thinks are the best episodes 
is directly related to the amount of drafts were written on that script. I think it's important to like demystify this like awesomeness, this ingeniousness. Like I t- people tell, oh, yo, it's a sick brother genius. No, 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 not a genius at all. Not even close. I just listen to people's stories. Dreamworks Black is a collection of stories. So if it's anything, I'm a good collector. Like, but that's what creativity is, right? Taking two ideas, putting them together, making it a new thing. And that's all that we do. So I feel like it's important that people know, like, creativity is hard work. You are a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It is all about the impact that you make and the legacy you leave mm-hmm. behind. I want to ask, is there anything you'd be satisfied to leave this world knowingly knowing that you've done what? Um, hopefully I would have left knowing or impacting someone to chase their dreams relentlessly, regardless of the obstacles. You know, yes, there are certain advantages or opportunities that I may have had, but opportunity doesn't equal achievement. You still have to fight. So I would just hope that, like, when people look back at my life, whenever that ends, they'll be inspired to say, you know what? That brother went for it, you know. He tried. That's all he can do is try. Just sitting in front of you, I can say that you've already accomplished that. We'll see. What do you hope is out there? And what would you take with you? If I could take one thing. But it depends, God, I mean, if the afterlife, if I'm supposed to be this great thing, I don't even care about <laughs> Facts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but just in but case it isn't. If there was an afterlife that was like something which I'd have to maneuver and like, navigate mm. i'll definitely carry books so that we can remember and like readapt to operate in this new space so what to watch out for watch out for dreaming was black okay definitely. make sure you pay a tv license and all them thing there <laughs> <laughs> don't boot like that thing like, and we have a new option now a new tv show we're working on called gabby's which is a mockumentary about a Jamaican takeaway restaurant. That would be funny. That would be banging. That would be And hopefully we can bring you back on and talk specifically about that. Yes, sir. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me, sir. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bless. Today's episode was produced by Ade Bambala. Sound designed by Chris Arise. And... If you'd like to be featured on stories that stick, then please do get in touch. Blacticulate Productions.